welcome to the Nerd Party. It's not working. How long since you've cleaned the heads? The what? The heads. Do you have any alcohol? To drink? What? No, no, to clean it. Check the tracking. The rental place closes in two hours. Shut up, shut up. It's working. Time for a retro perspective. Hello and welcome to Retro Perspective, the show on the Nerd Party where we take a look at all of the movies released 25 years ago this week. I'm Mike. I am John. And today we're taking a look at the movies released on February 11th, 1994. Yeah. There were f- four movies this week. Yes, there there were four movies this week in total. I, I got a cop again. It iTunes never is the first thing that occurs to me to look for movies. So if anybody out there is looking for stuff and you're anything like me, when it says on disc at Amazon, take a shot at uh, iTunes and you'll find it. Yeah, remind me to send you. I, I have a, uh, a an Apple TV here, which I, I need oh. to send to you. So remind Thank me you. to do that. I will. Yeah, and if, I, if he forgets, listeners, remind me to do that. Yes, send a note to uh, thenerdparty.com slash contact. Look up Retro Perspective and say, hey, Mike, send that to John. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, um, yeah, four movies of varying degrees of success and quality. Um, the first movie, in terms of business, I don't think even wound up on any charts, really. Uh, for in terms of uh, in terms of box office, and that is a movie called Together, as yes. in T W O, Gather. Yes, uh, I had not heard of this movie up until this point. Had you? Never had any idea to its existence uh, until it came up for this. No. Yeah, and I watch the trailer for it as we we watch we mm-hmm. have our trailer lineups which i've been posting on twitter so that people can if you want to just see what movies that came out that week you can take a look at that or if you're planning on watching a movie you can have your little trailer lineup before your your movie for the for the following week yeah that's what i've been doing but yeah you said that that, that you have a name for this i do i do as a play on Grindhouse, we'll call it the Mike House experience. Hmm. Nothing. Not doesn't fly for you. Uh, I'm not. I'm not too too sure about that. Listeners, you can vote on Mike House or pitch your own titles uh, yeah. on Twitter at Join Nerd Party. All okay. right, it's not my best work. Fine, I admit it. All right. Okay. Okay. Well, so, <laughs> so I watched the trailer for Together, and. I decided that that's the movie that I'm going to watch this week. Interesting. I watched the trailer for uh, TWO Gather, and I decided that would not be a movie that I watched this week. <laughs> well, it was weird because the trailer is not that the trailer that's on the internet is it's an official trailer, but it's not from 1994. It's from I don't know, probably like 2014, because they talk about it being like an erotic classic or something like that. And like one of the things that they even say is like before 50 shades of gray, there was together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And I was like, uh, yeah, that sounds like a good choice because the only other movie, the movie that I was considering, which we'll get to later, is one which I had seen before and didn't particularly like but thought I should probably revisit. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to take a chance on Together. It stars Nick Cassavetes, the uh, son of John Cassavetes and Jenna Rollins, who also... uh, directed The Notebook and Alpha Dog. Didn't he also stuff. do um didn't he also do John Q, that Denzel Washington hospital thing with James Woods? Yeah, he did. Yeah. I saw yeah. that in the theater actually. I can't remember whether or not I saw that. I feel like I did, but I don't remember for sure. It wasn't particularly good. Um that was the impression I got. Because they released it to capitalize on Denzel Washington's Oscar nomination. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. The movie also stars Brenda Backey, who I was not really familiar with until this point, but then looking at her credits, I realized that I had seen her in a bunch of things unknowingly, including L.A. Confidential, where she plays Lana Turner, and oh. uh, she's on an episode of Dollhouse, you know, CSI, Dark Angel. She, You know, she's all over the place. So, um, yeah. They're the stars. Jeremy Piven also shows up, acting very Jeremy Piven-like. And very much featured in uh, whatever poster I saw out there where where it was like, you know, Nick Aswith, and Jeremy Piven. Yeah. It's like, well, that, that seems an odd name to really lean into at that point, but okay. Yeah. The movie's weird because, I mean, certainly the way that they were promoting it was like, these two people met. And fell in love and then had a bunch of sex. And it's like, <laughs> none of that is inaccurate, but there's like a turn that it takes. Like, basically, the premise is like, these two people meet and they have a fling and they're, they're you know, they're having all sorts of fun and they go to Vegas and they get drunk and then they wake up in the morning and find a marriage certificate and neither of them remember the fact that they got married. So they're like, okay, that was obviously a mistake. Let's get divorced. So they get divorced, and then six months later, they're like, let's celebrate our divorce by having another fling. And then they do that, and everything is great and everything like that. And then, you know, like a month later, they're like, oh, we're pregnant. And then... It becomes, you know, sort of like a thing of like, okay, these two people who, you know, weren't in love, but liked hanging out together, got married, got divorced, and then had a kid, and now they're like raising the kid, but they don't really like each other, and they're both scared of commitment, and are they really in love with each other, or are they not, or whatever, and, you know, they're all really pretty whiny and it's a lot of like yelling at each other and stuff like that over things which are kind of dumb and uh are you sure they're not married <laughs> uh, they were but no they got divorced that's that's oh. that's why they were celebrating you know so um yeah it's not very good it starts off <laughs> good like it starts off like a kind of weird little indie thing but then you know when it starts getting like serious is when it really falls apart because yeah. I don't care about either of these people. 
and uh, I mean, there's some some of the performances are not great. Some of the choices that they make in terms of storytelling are not great. Um, I will say though, Nick Cassavetes in not one but two scenes is wearing a circa 1988 uh, White Sox cap, so that's cool. But uh, on the whole, uh, I do not recommend this movie. It's pretty bad. So you think it was just it has failures on all fronts. Like it's not structurally sound. Some of the performances are off. Pacing is off, I'm guessing, as well. And it can't decide on a tone. No, I mean, it it decides on a tone. It's just a dumb tone. You know, I Mm. mean, it's very melodramatic and everything like that. And it just doesn't work. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. I'm sorry that uh, TWO Gether did not uh, work out on that front. Yeah. Well, who knows? Maybe three Gether will be uh, better. Who knows? (laughs) Two Gether continuity. Yeah. Okay. So the next movie to come out was number five at the box office this week, taking in a total of um, $6 million. It is a little movie called My Girl 2. I did not watch My Girl 2 because I didn't even see My Girl, and I was uh, very afraid I was going to be lost uh, in the continuity and trying to catch up with the complex narrative of the My Girl connected universe. Yeah, I saw My Girl, I guess, right right after it came out on video uh, back in, like, 1991 or whatever it was at a friend's birthday party. We watched Stand By Me, My Girl, and The Terminator. And I still remember, (laughs) it's like seeing all three of those movies. I mean, it's very strange. And I remember seeing My Girl, and I remember liking it. Uh, But um, I haven't felt the need to revisit it since then. And I too felt like I might have been lost if I if I chose to watch My Girl Two without uh, revisiting the first one, and because of that, I decided not to. I mean, uh, Anna Chlumsky, Chlumsky, Chlumsky. I think it's Chlumsky. I I don't rightly recall. Okay, I remember I. I remember that she was supposed to be, uh, she was like a darling for a hot minute. You know, she yeah. she was, everybody was enthralled with her for her performance in the first one, which is why that begat the second one. Yeah, that, she, she grew up in my hometown. Like, I mean, we weren't, and we were like the same age too, like a year apart. Um, we weren't at like the same school, but it was like one of those things where it's like, oh, that girl, my girl, like she's, she's, she's from town, you know, she, we, you know, people are oh, hanging cool. out with her and stuff. Yeah. And now she's, now she's, you know, getting nominated for e- Emmys every single year and not winning them every single year. She's been nominated like the past five years. Hasn't won. So she's uh, the Susan Lucci of the modern day. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. She's on that show Veep. So yeah. Oh, I've heard good things about that show too. So Yeah, cool. it's supposed to be really good. Um yeah, I so I and and the director, he he did that that movie The Dream Team with Michael Keaton. Oh my gosh, that was uh here's a fun story about The Dream Team. Uh I remember that 
was that was Keaton's last comedic performance because he shifted over to um, Clean and Sober and Batman after that, didn't he? Sounds like, yeah, it was 89, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right around the time he was transitioning out. Clean and Sober predates it. If that came out in 89, then I think Clean and Sober was 87 or 88. What year did Die Hard come out? It was 88, right? Yeah. Because when I snuck in to see Die Hard, uh, we accidentally snuck in <laughs> to Clean and Sober mm. and were very confused. And that's why my first memory of Die Hard is... Uh, you know, well into the first reel. Okay. Um, yeah. So. All right. So, so my girl too. Neither of us saw it, but no. Who knows? Okay. Number three at the box office this week, making six point seven million dollars, was Blank Check. Yes. This is another one of those Disney movies, which you could totally tell. I mean, they were not even trying to pretend that they were not ripping off Home Alone. Um, did, I watched this for the first time for this. So you watched the movie? I did. I watched Blank Check. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you it is very much a product of its time. Did you watch it with the kids? No. I uh, was mm-hmm. unable to coordinate that, and that was very disappointing. Okay. Um, right. The kids wanted to watch their own thing, and I'm not the type to uh, force it on them. What did the and kids I, watch instead? Oh, there's this TV show on Netflix that they're all about right now, one called uh, Mia and Me, about this girl who transitions between uh, the live world and then like this magical fairy world with a unicorn. Um, that one's very popular. They like to revisit Bunked every so often. Um but once they, once they, I mean, honestly, they're they're great fledgling nerds because once they fixate on a title, oh man, they're all about that title. It's yeah. it's like a you know, it's like a Star Trek fan with a new show. They are going to latch onto that thing and ride it all the way to the end. So okay, yeah, yeah. So no blank so, check for them. No, no. So I wound up watching it on my own. And if you came to me and you said, "Here's a movie with uh, James Rebhorn." Uh, Miguel Ferrer, Michael Lerner, uh, oddly enough, Tone Loke, um, Karen Duffy. I'm like, well, that's, that's an interesting cast. That's, that, that's pretty decent. And they said, you know what? And to throw it in, uh, we're going to give you a crystal ball. The director of photography is going to go on in five years and, uh, be the DP of the matrix. I'd be oh. like, well, that, that's very interesting. Bill Pope. And, Slightly less interesting is that the uh, the director, Rupert Wainwright, went on uh, in 1999 to deliver unto us uh, Stigmata, mm-hmm. starring uh, Patricia Arquette. Uh, but also he is known for doing music videos, including uh, uh, NWA, Straight Outta Compton. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you look at that and you think... This is a throwaway thing. It knows exactly the audience that's going to come to see it. It knows exactly what it's supposed to do. It is so by the numbers as to be virtually painful. But it's just an example of everybody likes to talk about Disney flexing its muscle now. I think that people are losing perspective on the fact that Disney was a, you know, they were the 500-pound gorilla back then. Disney has always equaled power. Because the amount of talent they got together for this thing 
is kind of mind blowing on paper where you look at it and you say, this is, this is terrific. And it's all just to try to launch uh, Brian Bonsall's uh, star in the movies. Uh, and so it's bland. It's extremely bland, but that's exactly what you expect from a Disney kids movie of the era. The fascinating thing about that though is Disney live action was sort of this. This is what it always was. And this is during this is released during the era of everything from Beauty and the Beast to Pocahontas to, you know, Little Mermaid to uh, you know, yes, Little Mermaid's like well before, but like, you know, like it's right in that Disney animation heyday, you know, with like Lion King and stuff like that. And their live action stuff was always sort of an afterthought sort of thing. But you see this incredible talent in front of and behind the camera. You know, if there's anything to be said about it, it has the charm of the fact that you can tell that everybody's just having fun. They're not worried about winning an award or anything. They're like, yeah, you know what? Let's just do it. So, yeah. Well, I I do remember when this movie came out. I remember seeing the commercials and everything, but, you know, I never saw it because I think I was just too old to, you know, Mm -hmm. be interested. But, yeah, Bill Pope, uh, he he actually shot Alita, Battle Angel, in native 3D. Oh, really? Yeah, so. Uh, Oh, I didn't know that was native 3D. Oh, yeah. See, that might get me to go see it then. See see it in the format that they composed it for. Yeah, Yeah. I, I would go see that in 3D then. Number two at the box office this week, nothing could beat Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Sorry, guys. Um, nope. Number two at the box office this week with $7.4 million was The Getaway. Yes, The Getaway, which I also revisit. I I revisited that this week. I had seen this movie before, and I did not revisit it. This was the movie that I was going to watch until I saw the trailer for Together. But I was not a big fan of it the first time I saw it, so I was glad that I watched something else, even though I would say The Getaway is better than Together. Now, that's a bold statement, because when I saw The Getaway back in 94, my general reaction, as I remember it, was, yeah, that was okay. That was pretty good. I All right. You know, not, you know it wasn't great, but it wasn't bad. Um. I had a lower opinion of it uh, this time. I don't know whether it means that I've changed or what have you, but um, man, there's just, it's this, this is one where blank check at least has the charm of everybody appearing just to have a good time to just dash something off and be done with it. This is a collection of talent that is really trying to be better than the result. And, you just spend the whole thing watching it saying, why isn't this better? Why didn't this come together? Yeah, I remember thinking that it was okay, but at the same time, I don't know, I had the deck, the, the deck stacked against it in, in a lot of ways because like, the whole reason why I watched it, I, I read the book first, um, and then I watched the Peckinpah movie, and then I watched this. And... The reason why is because I heard Tarantino talking about it. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, are you familiar with the book at all or anything like this? Or Not in the okay. least. I haven't seen the original and I haven't read the book. Okay, so the, the original 
you know, I mean, it, it's it's similar to this one, right? In that, I mean, and okay, I guess we're going to kind of spoil the ending of this movie slightly. Sorry, which guys. is fine. Okay. It's perfectly fine. Okay, it's a, it's about you want you want to tell people what it's about. Yeah, uh, Alec Baldwin and Kim Basinger play a couple uh, who are criminals, and they are hired to break somebody out of prison. Um, and things go wrong, and Baldwin winds up in prison. She does some stuff to get him out of prison, and then they have to score, uh, you know, one big score on behalf of James Woods, who's the guy who got him out of prison, and hijinks ensue. And then in the end, they get away. Yeah. Spoilers. Spoilers. Okay, so does this sound similar plot-wise to any other movie that Tarantino may or may not have written? Mm, uh, I, I'm trying to leave through my brain right now. It doesn't really sound like Reservoir Dogs. It doesn't sound like Pulp Fiction. It doesn't sound like Jackie Brown. Definitely doesn't sound like The Hateful Eight. doesn't really sound like Kill Bill Volume 1 or Volume 2. Um, what am I missing? What am I overlooking here? From Dusk Till Dawn. Oh, Really? Um, slightly. Uh, slightly. But here's okay. the thing. Here's the thing, okay? So I, I believe it's on the commentary for From Dusk Till Dawn that Tarantino talks about this. In, in He always he said, if I'm not mistaken, he, you know, I could be misremembering this, but he always liked the Peckinpah movie, but he always hated the fact that they never had the original ending from the book. In the original ending from the book... And, and and here's the thing. Um, when he heard that they were remaking the movie, he's like, oh, cool, they can finally do it, but with the original ending, that'll be great. And then they had the same ending as the original mm-hmm. and not the ending from the book. Yeah. And he's like, why would you not do that? The ending is what makes it so amazing. The ending of the book is basically they're running away, they're fleeing to Mexico to this city, which is run by this guy named El Rey, who basically has a city which is for harboring criminals, right? And yeah. you you pay him your 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 money, you give him whatever it is that that you stole or whatever, and he lets you live out the rest of your days in comfort. It's it's like heaven on earth for criminals. Okay. So they get away, and they go down to this city, which is run by this guy, El Rey, and it turns out that this city is basically literally hell on earth. Like, it's the worst thing you could possibly imagine, as you would probably imagine a city inhabited by nothing but criminals on the run from the law would, would be. But it gets, like, really, really dark. Like, if I'm not mistaken, there's cannibalism involved in this place. And it's like you go through this whole thing, and then it takes this turn, and it's like they got away to a place which is worse than they could ever possibly imagine and end up basically dying in this town. And if you watch From Dusk Till Dawn, the place where they're going is named El Rey. And uh, 
the whole idea is like even though you don't see them like this place is terrible like there's that scene at the end of the movie where Juliette Lewis is talking to George Clooney and she's like you know can I come with you and he's like do you know what El Rey is I cannot take you there and this is like after her entire family has been killed by vampires, right? Yes. Yeah. When she asks him to go to El, Re- El Rey, he says, and I'm paraphrasing here, I may be an a-hole, but I'm not an effing a-hole. Like, yes. the idea that, like, going to El Rey is way worse than seeing your family killed by vampires. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's yeah. what it is. That's what he was doing. That's what he was going for with From Dust Till Dawn. From Dust Till Dawn is basically his version of the getaway. I can see that now that you've held them next to each other. And I'm embarrassed that I didn't think of From Dusk Till Dawn. Well, it's kind of uh, an obscure thing because when you think of From Dusk Till Dawn, you're not yeah. thinking of, you know, a guy Rodriguez breaking name. someone else out of prison, you know, and all that stuff. Yeah. But. Yeah, so because of that, I was like, okay, I need to read this book and then watch these movies. And, you know, he, he was right. The book is great, and the movies are kind of bland. So, Well, the, the worst part about The Getaway is, this version of it, is that Alec Baldwin and Kim Basinger were an item. And so it was supposed to be, see the people who are really in love playing a couple who are in love. <laughs> Just like far and away, right? Mm-hmm. And I rem- it's the same same experience as when I was watching Far and Away, saying these people like each other, even love each other. Why is nothing happening on screen between them? Like, what is what is missing here? Kim Basinger looks completely uncomfortable through the entire thing. They have a, a obligatory nudity, of course, and it has, uh, I will say one of the most uh, sociopathic subplots possible in that it's not just that Michael Madsen's character you know, goes to the vet, has him fix his shoulder, and kidnaps him and his wife. His wife, played by Jennifer Tilly, is immediately all about Michael Madsen. Well, okay, the way this typically goes, guy takes woman, they disappear, husband is left, holding the bag and it's like oh no oh no in this do you recall what happens to the husband no he's tied up in the bathroom and you see him witness like very graphically jennifer tilly having sex with michael madsen and they laugh at him and close the door the next time you encounter the husband he's killed himself Right from his grief, like he's hung himself in the bathroom, and you might look at that and say, "Oh well, you know, this is to demonstrate that they're bad people." You wind up hating those characters so much that they they keep on using Jennifer Tilly as almost this semi comic relief character. That that doesn't fly, man. Mm-hmm. Like you like it flies if she just leaves her husband. It's like okay, I'll go along with it. But the fact that that happened and she, she doesn't even react, she doesn't even express any remorse about this, like all the way back in 94, I hated that scene. I watched it now and I hate that scene. It's awful. It's terrible. And it removes, like up to that point, Michael Madsen's character is this 
yes, he's a terrible person, but he's childish in a way. And so you're willing to say, oh, well, you know, he's kind of childish bad guy. And it turns him into just basically a full-on psycho in that moment and then tries to pick up again with him just being sort of quirky after that. It's like, that's not how that works, guys. Once you go that low with him, you can't try to pull him back up to make him silly again or her. Like, that's the end of the road for their characters having any humor to do with them anymore. And it really ruins any any goodwill that might be there uh, up to that point. But, I, like, Richard Farnsworth makes an appearance at the end. That's puzzling. Because he shows up and he's the guy that drives them off and sells his truck to them. And it's this, you know, amusing little coda that feels like it was reshot. You know, they were like, oh, we need a better ending. And so they brought him in and, and had that happen. See, it's kind of a mess of a movie. Sounds like it. Yeah, I mean, it's been years since I've seen it, but I don't remember liking it. Uh, looking on Rotten Tomatoes, it currently has a 33%. So that's I guess about right. that's not really um, a ringing endorsement. Let's take a look and see uh, about uh, Blank Check. 9%. Okay. 9%. <laughs> I is it I mean the thing is now I have to revisit my thinking is it possible that the getaway was such an unpleasant experience that when I watched Blank Check I said, "Well, nobody's a psycho really." Eh, okay. It's abstract crime. I'm okay with this. I don't know. I think 9% a little you, you know, yes, it's an aggregate it's the percentage of people that gave it. So my review of it isn't overwhelmingly positive but nine percent is pretty 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 bad that's, that's bottom of that's, the barrel yeah yeah that's that's Holmes and watson territory yeah and that that's a little rough that's a little rough my girl two is 27 percent. so ouch bunch of winners this week i mean <laughs> best reviewed movie of the week is together with uh 50 so fascinating absolutely fascinating <laughs> And none of them, none of them could dethrone Jim Carrey. So he got his second week in a row at number one, uh, which sway your opinion at all? CNA Ventura? No, no. I mean, maybe if it were this week, I would have watched it. Maybe. But Mm. actually, probably not. I probably still would have stuck with Together. But next week, uh, we do have uh, a number of interesting things. I think next week is going to be a good week. I think it's going to be a threefer for me, Mike. Yeah, I think it might yeah. be a twofer for me, you know. Um, but the, the three movies that are coming out next week, well, 25 years ago next week, are Reality Bites, Blue Chips, mm. and On Deadly Ground. I've never seen any of these three. Reality Bites was me digging in my heels and being uh, counter-hipster at the time. Okay. I've since come to know Ethan Hawke as an actor, and therefore that's the hook. I'll go and I'll go and watch it now. Yeah. Uh, second is Blue Chips, and I've always wanted to see that, so I'm happily going to go see that. And On Deadly Ground is uh, an embarrassing oversight from the era when Steven Seagal was things, when his title was always he Steven Seagal is, and so I need to rectify that. Yeah, I've only seen one of them. I've only seen Reality Bites. Blue Chips, however, is directed by William Friedkin and written by Ron Shelton. So that's definitely something there. And On Deadly Ground, directed by Steven Seagal and co-starring Michael Caine, which means, yes, there is a movie out there 
where Steven Seagal directs Michael Caine. <laughs> Stop selling it so hard, man. I can only watch it once. I, I like I'm so excited to see it. Like it's crazy. Okay. I can't believe how excited I am to see it. <laughs> well, we will talk about those movies uh, next week. But until then, John, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, look for Castle Junkie. Uh, that's me. I'm on Twitter, Letterboxd, Goodreads. Uh, and you can find me right here on the network, co-hosting Aggressive Negotiations, a Star Wars podcast of a slightly different stripe with Matthew Rushing. And uh, occasionally writing stuff for uh, Set the Tape. And Mike, where can people uh, find you? Well, you can find me on filmdamagepod.com doing a show called Film Damage, where we talk all about uh, film projection and movies and all the rest of it. You can also find me on trek.fm doing a show called Tracks from the Edge, where we provide audio commentary for new episodes of Star Trek. And uh, you can find me on Twitter and the Letterboxd at Mumbles3K. Awesome. So I think... As usual, there's only one bit of advice we have left, Mike. What would that be? Be kind, rewind. Rewind.